Hi, this is Jim Labedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Dan Erling. He is the president and CEO of Accounts One, a full-service accounting and finance recruiting firm based in Atlanta, Georgia. He's recognized as one of Atlanta's up-and-coming executives by the Atlanta Business Chronicle, and under Dan's leadership, Accounts One was recognized as one of Atlanta's best places to work. Today, we're discussing his book, Match, which provides a systematic approach for identifying, hiring, and retaining the right people for your company. Today, we're discussing the how Match can impact the growth of your company. So, Dan, welcome to the program. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. You know, if you're going to write a book called Match, which is a systematic way of hiring the right person, I guess you would automatically end up with Atlanta as one of the best places to work. (laughs) Maybe it's not by accident. Those two went together. That is a really good point. Yes, it it would be bad if I wasn't able to retain my own people. I'm really proud to say I've been at Accountants One for 20 years. I'm now the CEO, and I've got several people who have been with me for 18 years. 20 years. (laughs) So so you've seen a little change go on in the talent acquisition business over that 20 years. Oh, yes. I came in in the late 90s when talent wars were going on, rode through two recessions, and now we're back to some semblance of normalcy in the hiring world. Yeah. Match came out in 2010, which now just seems like a lifetime ago. You know, and even though it wasn't, and maybe that's because we all remember 2008, 9, and 10 is probably etched in our brains what was going on in business. But this came out in 2010, and now we're talking today. What's the change in the last several years that you've noticed? Uh, we've seen a huge change in the market. So Accountants One's actually been around since 1973, and we've built some great relationships. And there were so many companies that we saw, so many great companies who either couldn't hire, had to close their doors. Certainly they weren't thinking about adding to their teams. They just weren't able to do it. Now... There is great vibrancy in the hiring market. People are growing their businesses. We've even been brought into the North Carolina markets. We now have offices in Raleigh and Charlotte based upon the demand for hiring. So the landscape of hiring has changed almost completely over these past five years. Now we are seeing people receive multiple job offers on the same day. We are seeing companies with multiple openings in their departments. And so we really need to be able to keep up to stay competitive in the business world. Yes, it's definitely become an employee's market. Yes. And you said something interesting that I've never heard before. I've heard about talent wars. I mean, I've been part of talent wars. But, you know, one of the benefits of hanging around for 20 years, you mentioned the talent wars of the 90s. And when people talk about talent wars today, I get the impression it's a new thing. 
right? We're coming into these talent wars. But your statement tells me it must be phases that we go through. Oh, absolutely. I remember I had just started. I was new to the business. And in order to retain an employee, the counter offer was a Harley Davidson. Wow. That that's a counteroffer of a talent. Yeah, that is a counteroffer. You know, we've always told people never take the counteroffer. It puts you in a bad position. When they told me that, I said, "Oh, take it." <laughs> there was no question. Yeah. At least when you leave that job, you you ride away in style, right? <laughs> that is well said. Okay. So we shouldn't panic. I guess what I'm saying is, when I talk about talent wars today, it's like, "Oh, we're going to run out of talent." Again, based on your comment, we don't seem to run out of talent. It just appears there's more competition at different times. That is correct. In fact, I don't even think we're close to the top of the need. My guess from watching the cycles of need, and remember, I'm working mostly Atlanta. I don't ever claim to understand the market from a national standpoint, but in the South, and judging from my discussions with people who do similar job to me in, in other markets, I would tell you that we have three more years, at least, of increased need from the client standpoint. So I think it's only going to get tougher to attract and retain talent. If there's going to be an increasing need, there's more competition, how do I get my company more competitive to attract the best out of that talent pool? All right. This is a beautiful question. I think that one of the things that we're seeing right now and one of the reasons that we're starting down this path of talent wars is because there were plenty of people who had jobs in 2010 who had those jobs not because they were the right fit with the organization. It was just because they were afraid. They were afraid to do anything. They were afraid to go look for another job. Heck, there weren't even that many jobs around. So it created an environment where people were holding on out of fear. Today, we're walking into a market where, yeah, you can get multiple offers if you have a good technical background. So what companies have to recognize is that the retention plans that they put in place must be genuine and real. In other words, they need to work incredibly hard at aligning people who are the right fit for the organization versus a right technical fit or a person who just needs a paycheck. That person is not going to stay in a market like we have today without that compelling reason to stay on board, without that true connection to the organization. So the competitive advantage is a focus on aligning people who fit into an organization. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I mean, I hate to oversimplify it, but you, I guess the word used today is culture of the company, but I think that falls short of what you're saying. Is it getting people aligned with the vision or the mission of where the company is headed then? I think you said the key word. It's the mission of the organization that is going to allow companies to hire and retain 
the talent that they need. Right. And then, which begs the, the point that how many company leaders can clearly articulate their mission? And not just the, what they called it, the vision statement you see in the lobby. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, I think social media plays a big role in this because with the baby boomers, you could put that poster of your mission statement up in the lobby and they would walk in and take that as the truth. Today, if your mission statement is not genuine, then everybody on Twitter knows that it is not. Everybody on Facebook knows that that's just baloney, that it's just a Dilbert mission. Do you know what I mean by a, you know, a Dilbert oh, yeah. mission? You know, completely senseless, just words versus a genuine statement of purpose. I don't know. Sometimes social media makes us superficial. Other times it helps bring out what is true and genuine. And in this case, I think that social media works to benefit folks because it does. It gives us a real picture of what's truly going on in an organization. Yeah, I ran across, I can't remember exactly where it is, just roaming around the internet one time. I ran across this website because I was looking for a gentleman's name. I was trying to find a president of a company and his name popped up on his website and it was nothing but i'm surprised they hired him he's the worst person <laughs> i can't believe he got promoted again this person wrecks company after company and now he'll wreck this company and it went on and on and on you know it just dawned on me dan that you make that statement i never called him i mean i found him i never called him i can't align our company with a company that has a leader like that because our values they ain't going to match Absolutely. Websites like Glassdoor do oh, yep. a great job of giving us that view. I do think, though, that, you know, every once in a while, my favorite restaurant, for example, got a bad review lately, and I don't know how it happened. 99 great reviews and one bad review does not make a bad restaurant. I mean, sometimes we have to be careful because sometimes there's just sour grapes, and that does make it even more complicated to figure out what the truth is, but you can't always throw out an opinion because of what one person says, but when you find 99 who are saying something, then I think that you can put a lot of truth into that. Yeah, so bringing back to your point mm -hmm. that the social presence can go a long way of either evangelizing the mission you're on or to let people know that you either don't have a mission or they don't really want to join because of it. So I think that's a valid point most often overlooked today. Our guest is Dan Erling. We're talking about his book, Match. In addition to Dan sharing his expertise on recruiting, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. They're available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and personal development. You can download these podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Dan, what role does the president of a company play when it comes to recruiting? I think that the president or the leader, the CEO of the organization has to be the leader of the recruiting movement. I really enjoy your work. You and I are not going to disagree on this, that the most important thing that a leader can do is have the right people on the team. All the business gurus agree. Peter Drucker talks about that in all of his writing, that without the right people on the team, we can't move our organizations forward. 
And if the CEO does not understand that, does not evangelize that, deferring it to others within the organization, minimizing the importance, then you will never have the organization that runs at peak efficiency. They have to be the leader of the recruiting movement. And let's dive down just a little bit more based on your experience. So, you know, I'm the president of my company, and I look at my job description, and I say, okay, it says right here I should be the leader of our talent acquisition. Uh, But underneath that, so what activities do you see presidents involved in that directly affect or have an effect on that recruiting effort? Well, certainly I am not advocating that that person is out running every interview, writing up job descriptions. All that I am saying in watching thousands and thousands of hires is that the organization where the leader is making room for HR to be able to go out and truly recruit, that that leader is giving a budget, that that leader is advocating all of the difficulties necessary in making a great hire. That's the main responsibility of that president, of that CEO. Again, I don't want anyone to think that I would advocate taking on details, but rather just being the spokesperson, clearing the way, and making it very clear, just uh, taking the message that hiring is the most important thing that we can do and sharing that with the organization from top to bottom, evangelizing hiring. Yeah, I told a new company president the other day, he asked me the question, he says, you know, what's the three things I should be doing in this role as new president? And I said, constantly evangelize the mission that you're on. Mm-hmm. And number two is constantly evangelize. <laughs> and number three is constantly evangelize because, you know, it seems to happen once a year, maybe at the Christmas party or at some annual company retreat. In my experience is it's almost like, man, if you're not doing it every week, people forget what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. When you can make it the fabric of your organization, you're making a difference. And of course, delegate, delegate, delegate. But If your message is constantly, we are looking for great people, I am going to clear the way so you have time, I am going to give you the budget so that you can go out and find true talent. You know, I have to say that there are some organizations, I'm going to talk about a thing that I see a lot in this market that I think is counterproductive, and that is when leadership tells HR, okay, here's your recruiting budget. If you can stay under that recruiting budget, then we're going to give you a bonus. That is so counterproductive because it's not saying we want you to go and find the best people available because those great people are going to bring value at three times their annual salary instead of saying, oh, yeah, we want you to be cheap and just get average to mediocre people who don't bring their value to the table. So I think the great leader says, you go and find the best people that you possibly can find, 
And yes, of course, all companies have to have a budget, but we need to celebrate what value people can bring, not how cheap we can make a hire. Yeah, well said. You have to flip it to the really the other side of the equation. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you believe your people are your largest asset, right, or your best asset, you know, I've asked that question, you know, what's your differentiating value? What's your biggest And company presidents tell me, well, our people and our relationships. And then my next question is, so the last time you invested in both was when? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you got the new computer system, right? The website looks great. I see you upgraded that. You know, but when's the last time you went back and invested in two, supposedly, of your best assets? Okay, so you talk about recruiting. Obviously, you've been a recruiter and you run a recruiting firm. People are probably be curious. Surely, Dan, you must have one or two tricks up your sleeve on recruiting. So what have you found effective in recruiting? And I use the word recruiting to be proactive. You're actually, you're not putting up an ad on a job board. You're going out doing something to right. find really good people. What's that something that Dan has found to be effective? All right. So I'm going to answer this, and boy, I think there's going to be a little bit of disappointment in some of the words that I'm going to use here, because wouldn't it be great if we just had some simple trick that we could apply and find great people? But I ask that you stick with me, because I think that the answer has to be a difficult one, and it also has to take a long period of time, but that Jim Collins' idea of getting the flywheel going applies here. Once you can get this going, your recruiting will become easier and easier. So the answer, my long-winded introduction, gets to this point. The trick to great recruiting in this market is focusing on the culture and the mission of your organization. Let me explain just a little as to why I say that. Because hiring the wrong person is an incredibly expensive endeavor. Hiring the right person brings you value at three times an annual salary. So it's quite a great investment to go out there and do this right. So the trick of hiring the right person, the greatest recruiting trick that I know right now is to go out there and turn the volume up on your culture, on your unique culture and the mission of your organization. And by doing that in every job posting that you're working on, in every PR blitz, on every marketing piece that you send out there, on every company meeting that you attend and evangelize on, then you become an organization that is constantly looking for great talent that aligns with that mission and that culture that your organization is. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you're right. It's probably not the answer people are expecting. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Social media is great. We use e-sourcing on LinkedIn. We know all kinds of ways to find talent. But finding talent is step one. 
finding people that align with your culture is so much more important. You can find the right technical fit, but if they don't fit with your culture, they're not going to be a productive employee. How do you set the company up to focus on that? Because generally the focus is must have three years of, must have a degree in, and you're flipping the other side of those competencies, I guess, that are values that you're looking for in a person. So how do you get that company to make that switch? It's easy to find the, you know, find me an electrician that's done this or find me a sales engineer that's done that. How do you get them aligned on the other side? Well, again, it's got to come from the leader first. The leader has to give his or her team the okay to go and look for talent that may not be quite the technical fit. Okay, I'm looking for an engineer with three years' experience. Well, we found an engineer with a year of experience, but their cultural fit is dead on. And what we've come to realize is that culture matters more than technical fit because you can always train the technical aspects of a job, but you can't train culture. So going out and giving your hiring teams the ability, the training, and the comfort level knowing that they can go outside of this three years experience with this exact degree. We've got to open ourselves up to new levels of talent. I read recently that in England, there is such a shortage of accounting talent that the big CPA firms are opening up to hiring people without CPAs. And in times like this, I think that is a great approach to hiring, opening up to people that are a little bit different than what we might have hired when the talent was there with the idea of allowing them to grow with our organization and knowing that they will because they're culturally aligned to our organizations. Yeah, good point. Our guest is John Erling. We're talking about recruiting top talent for your company, how the best to do that. John, when we left off, we were talking about the role company culture plays in recruiting top talent. So as an example, when I say John Deere, what image comes to your mind? Tractor. Yeah. And is it a good tractor or a bad tractor? It's a great tractor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not good. It's great. So I worked with one of the divisions of Deere and Company, and we were putting together criteria on who should be joining the team. And we were going down the technical side of it, right? I get that. And we did some other questions on it. And we had a thing come back from this assessment we had him do. And the leading thing was the person in this role needs to be very much more traditional. A traditional sense in systematic, a set of values and stuff like this. I said, hey, that's not going to work. I said, this is more of a sales role. And he went back and forth. And it dawned on me in debriefing that further with the team, they had picked traditional because... If you're going to join Darren Company, there's a set of values that you had better be in line with. If you don't, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I've watched them release people as quickly as two or three days, which is fast for a Fortune 500 company, right? Absolutely. Because they, this person stepped out of line and broke a value. The, the interesting thing when I'm in these meetings 
and we're talking about these things, it is so ingrained in those people that if we're not fitting this value set, doesn't matter how talented they are, it ain't going to work here. And I thought, well, they've had 175 years to get that right. But if you look at their success and you look at how they continue to grow in spite of what's going on around them, it has to do with the fact that they're sticking to that core value, not only in their manufacturing, but also in their people. Again, to support what you're talking about, I've seen it happen in companies. They carry that mission flag, and it's in every discussion that they talk about. And I want to take that point just a little bit further. One of the things that we have come to recognize is that there is no wrong corporate culture. Correct. Corporate culture just exists. And I think sometimes when we get into this conversation, people think that there must be some kind of a right corporate culture. So what I need to do is I need to turn my organization into something, which is absolutely not the point of this. It is simply saying, this is who we are. Back to your John Deere example. This is who we are. These are the cultural norms. These are the values that are in place. And if you don't fit within those organizations, into those norms, then that's okay. You're not the right fit for the company. We don't do you or us any good by hiring you and asking you to change, and we don't do ourselves any good by trying to change to meet your specific approach to life. Yeah. I'll bring it down to a more common example. I had a branch manager once tell me, he said, they were looking for a salesperson. And I said, that's great. I said, okay, uh, who are you looking for? And he says, let me tell you this. He says, I'm not going to coach him. I'm not going to train him. I'm not going to give him pats on the back. He says, I expect to hire somebody who knows how to sell capital equipment, and I expect him to be a self-starter, and I expect him to show up every day and get to work. Now, if he has a problem, he can come see me. Other than that, that's what I need. And I thought, wow, okay. But he's very specific, right? Exactly. Oh, the other thing he said, and they have to live in this territory, so the three-county territory. Well, that's a needle mm-hmm. in a haystack. Guess who he found? He found an ex-Marine that could sell. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know if you know much about Marines, <laughs> but the ones that make it, right, and the ones that are experienced are pretty self-starters, pretty self-sufficient. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I think he nailed it. He nailed it. But that's a prime example of what you're talking about, is this person knew succinctly the type of manager he was, and knew exactly what he wanted. He says, you know, find somebody who fits that mold. And they both were happy after that, right? And what we oftentimes see, and this is where the mishire comes into play, you know what? We'll take your example. This person's got the right experience. They've been selling in this space before, but, you know, they've always had a manager, and they need a lot of hands-on. Let's bring them in and give them a shot. No, that's absolutely wrong. Stick to the cultural fit, because the only thing that's going to happen is The person is going to feel bad about their job. The hiring manager is going to feel bad because it's not going to work. 
that person is not going to change and your organization is not going to change. Now, over time, it can, but it's like trying to change the ocean. You can't do it. You've got to be able to suggest you've got to understand your culture enough to know where it is. And you can get in there and try and muck it up, but it's very, very difficult to change corporate culture, and it's certainly difficult to change it in the direction that you want it to change. So... If I have a clear picture like our branch manager did and exactly what he was able to articulate what he needed in an employee, how do you screen for that then? Because the president, like you said, can't be in every interview. So how do you set your team up to screen for that cultural fit? That's a great question. It speaks exactly to what the president should be doing, which is giving tools to help understand what that culture is, to get their ego out of the way. This is a huge problem. So many times the leaders of organizations have an ego that does not allow them to see what their corporate culture really is. So part of the job of the leader is to take away their subjectivity and truly look at the culture of their organization so that they can give their team, so that they can delegate great hiring through the folks that work for them. Okay. In your book, uh, The Match, it's not called The Match, it's Match, (laughs) trying to change the title of your book already, which really enjoyed, has sticky notes in it, which are key points, I think, of maybe the chapter you're reading at the time. So I'll give you mine, then I'm going to ask you for yours. Uh, My favorite sticky note was right in the beginning where you said, guard against believing you're a great judge of people. Mm -hmm. I went, I said, amen. (laughs) And getting back to Peter Drucker said that. Peter Drucker said, don't trust your gut intuition. He said, use assessments. And, you know, he was writing about using assessments before people knew what assessments were. So that's my favorite sticky note. Do you have one that's your favorite bit of wisdom, I guess? (laughs) The truism that I share with my team most often is that it's 75% culture, 25% technical skills. And to make sure we're serving our clients effectively by remembering that. By asking questions about the culture of the organization, by thoroughly discussing culture not only with the leaders of the organization, but also the people on the front line so that you get a true picture of the corporate culture, and then by asking behavioral questions that allow us to assess whether the person will be successful within the organization. One of our realizations is that competitiveness is one aspect of corporate culture that is very, very important. If you have an organization that is a shark tank, there's nothing wrong with that type of culture. We, in fact, can find somebody that you can throw in that shark tank and be very successful. And there's a lot of companies who run that model and make a lot of money. They're business successful. 
But taking a person who is someone that loves to work on teams, that is a collaborative individual, and putting them into a shark tank is the way to create a mishire for sure. What we need to do is to understand that organization so that that doesn't happen. And it ends up being a mismatch and not a match. Exactly. So the truism, the sticky note that I put up around our office is 75% culture, 25% technical skills. Okay, thank you. The one piece of advice you would give a company president today as relates to recruiting is what? Use the mission statement as the beginning and the ending of the recruiting process. If it's about, certainly this is always about money and salary and benefits, but in order to truly hire and retain great talent, you have to align people with a mission statement. So clarifying that mission statement from top to bottom within the organization is the most important thing that a president, that a CEO can do. And then walking that mission statement through every aspect of the recruiting process to make sure you're not just capturing that person's interest because of salary, because of opportunity, but you're also grabbing part of that person's heart because in this very competitive hiring landscape, you've got to have more that is keeping your great team in place. Our guest is Dan Erling. We're talking about how to recruit top talent for your company. So, Dan, the biggest misconception about recruiting top talent today is what? that hiring people is easy, that hiring people is simply putting out that help-wanted sign. I think that more and more people are realizing this as we bounce out of this, uh, the worst recession that the country's seen since the Depression. Get ready for a very difficult process, but one that should give great returns. So have expectations of greatness, but recognize how difficult that process is going to be. Is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Millennials. How do we attract and retain the younger generation? That 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 is a question that's being asked a great deal. And I do think that understanding or... I'm not sure I have all the answers, but at least dialogue around this question is something that's very, very important for any business owner. Yeah, and I think they have to be able to answer that themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the way you answer that is by asking them. i give you an example. Fortunate to have a grandson and place my son works at when his wife gave birth to our grandson, their child. He had four weeks returning leave. He did. Four weeks. Take it off. And I experienced that with him, that transition from giving birth to bringing the child home to getting settled with a new mother and a new family. And I'm sure you've been there, Dan. (laughs) But back in my day, it was, I mean, it was like, hey, that's great, honey. Back to work tomorrow. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that in the time and a place 
when that was happening in our life, it just was. And we accept that and moved on. But I could tell that my son's in that millennial age that that was so important to him. And it was such mm-hmm. a positive experience to be able to do that. That one little thing, it just creates tremendous value that you can't write a check for. And so what is it that they want? And if you'll ask them, they'll tell you and then decide if you want to provide it. Exactly. And I do think that the millennials are asking great questions. There's a lot of frustration in managing them because employers are not used to the level of questions, the inquisitiveness of this younger generation. But I think your point is a great one, because if we take the time to understand a little deeper as to what they are looking for, and the fact that with the right organization are more likely to stay than previous generations. So the point is, if you give, you get back a lot from the younger generation. And I think asking the questions is is absolutely imperative. And there's a couple overriding things I've learned from clients in this area. And the overriding thing is, and you've already hit upon it, by the way, with millennials, you got to have something bigger than your company. Mm-hmm. In other words, what do you stand for than more right. than your company? Can you tie into a community cause that you believe in? Because they'll gladly volunteer and take time off work to uh, whether it's packing lunches for the homeless or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that the millennials are all inclusive, meaning that diversity is not a word in their vocabulary because they're already diverse, meaning they tend to accept people for who they are more Absolutely. so than the categories. So there's three things I've learned in working with millennials. So you have to talk about more than your mission is important because they'll buy into the mission. You have to be able to talk about the bigger cause you're doing and understand that they're all inclusive. And I think the other thing is with them, you have to slow down and explain the why. Because they're not going to accept the what. I mean, they will. Maybe they'll accept the how. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. But if you don't put the why in there, they ain't buying in. Absolutely. So you have to slow down and say, this is why this is important. This is why we do it the way we do it here. And then be able to listen for that feedback. Dan, thanks for being on our program. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. It's been a real honor. And the book is Match, a systematic sane process for hiring the right person every time. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.